thank you for joining the ESBC Podcast Network, where the purpose of the podcast is always to make me money, right? And I say it that way because we keep it real here. We're not hypocritical like the, these uh, politicians uh, and athletes or like a Trevor Bauer who doesn't want to give fans autographs. Uh, he's there for the money. If he says right away, hey, listen, I don't care about autographs. I'm here for the enormous amount of money that I am making. Then people won't even ask him for autographs. And it's good, clear communication, right? And every podcast is a business. If you listen to a lot of podcasts, we have NFL wide receiver, Chad Nolan, telling us how much money he's making with the sports betting. He's up 350%. That's Wall Street bets. So every single business meeting has to have a purpose in that. And the reason I make money and the reason I do the podcast is because in capitalism, the way you make the most money is through collaborating. Collaborating leads to innovation, right? It helps on your communication skills. We live in the richest country in the history of the world, the United States of America. So you collaborate, keep capitalism alive, because as we see with the pandemic, with uh, our attacks on our democracy, attacks on our capitalism, right? Uh, different com countries coming in, buying stocks and trying to inflate them. Uh, and everybody jumping on Periscope, if you have a question, let me go. Uh, people uh, in our stock market, I, I believe that every single Chinese company should be delisted from the stock market. The SEC should jump in and take care of that situation because they figured out that if you fill out the forms correctly, you can get away with massive fraud, right? So to that end, you have to collaborate to fight these forces of evil. What has been the outcome? The outcome is that you learn more about law enforcement, crime, criminal behavior from the very, very top of the world and society down to the bottom. And we use horse racing as an avenue to communicate that. So you're aware of your routing. One of the basic things you have to know in life is to be aware of your surroundings. Uh, so the outcome has been on the sports betting side up to 500% ROIs teaching you the nuts and bolts and the hows and the whys to sports betting now that it's been legalized in 42 states and to make concrete the analogy between sports betting and the financial markets and using business and financial concepts in real time, right? So time waits for no one. You could be dead tomorrow. So we're giving you information. You can place bets right now Right now we're, uh, I think four and one college basketball. What does that mean? That means we are 80%, 52.5% is break even. So compound interest is the ability that God has given us to be at 80%. And that margin between 52 and 80 is compound interest. So that's your purpose and that is your phenomenal outcome but it's better to give than to receive. And we're also teaching abundance, abundance theory. We're not just keeping the information for ourselves. 
We're letting everybody and anybody have that information because we want you to monetize it for our selfish reasons of keeping democracy and capitalism alive and fresh in within our own ecosystem. Now, somebody who we were just talking about his successful kids, his successful grandkids, uh, successful businesses. Uh, he's been married for, oh, what, 40, 50 years. <laughs> Mary Jane's an incredible person. Uh, and somebody who I've collaborated with uh, going on 11 years from beautiful San Diego, California, Mike Christinese. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Josh. You know, you said something about collaborating. And a lot of times our viewing and listening audience, the men primarily I'm speaking to right now, if you will but listen to learn and not listen to argue, you will have some phenomenal takeaways from this podcast. A lot of guys, and it's, I don't care what part of the country you're from, part of the world you're from, if you can learn to listen to learn, there's a lot of information. We're very rich in content here in this podcast. And we do move. I like what you said. Horse racing to crime. You start learning a lot about a lot of people in our lives that we thought were just good guys, good gals. You just trust them. They're okay. No, no, they're not. They're rotten to the core and they're filthy and they're corrupt. And it spills over in our society. What you and I are trying to do in our own puny little way is to say, hey, there is a better way. I don't think it's puny, though. I think we, we, we're getting uh, information all over the world. And it, it, a lot of it is about who you put around you. If you are the right. smartest person in the room, you are in the wrong <laughs> You're in the wrong room. And uh, our, our parents told us that as, as you know, young kids, don't get it around the bad kids in the neighborhood. So we live in the fifth largest economy in the world, long time, decades. And by virtue of that, uh, I have a client worth $50 million, right? Uh, 25 of it is liquid. So he's his own bank, his own everything, right? I have an MBA, I have securities licenses. I had a restaurant in Ellis Park that I invested $8,000 with. Six years later, I sold it for $600,000. So we have a lot, of, it's not just that, it's the people that came in. Aldo Lahi, fighter pilot in the Italian Air Force. Yeah, he gets prosthetics, uh, Alp South, and I'll put a link to Alp South. He, uh, he goes to GE as an engineer and he uh, invents a type of prosthetic of uh, plastic that he then turns into uh, prosthetics and a lot of this is extrapolation and just laying back and we had a good podcast with uh Beeson John Beeson and we'll put a link to that one and he we called it can I get a witness right so it goes into what coach Mike's saying about listening you stop your brain right and you listen to people smart people don't listen to dumb people so Avalahi who ends up being a billionaire uh pure blood from Sicily comes into my restaurant. I have no idea who he is. For two weeks, he's talking to me in Italian. But I am flattered that he's coming in uh, every Tuesday at 3 p.m. 
And sometimes he would come two, three times a week. And just out of nowhere, he just starts talking to me in Italian. After a while, I start taking notes because I know some Spanish and Italian are literally, I'm like, why is this guy coming in to talk to me? Because he could sense some other billionaire did the same thing, but it didn't in English, right? George Steinbrenner, the owner of the Yankees, he's in uh, Steinfeld, right? They talk about him a lot mm-hmm. in that sitcom. Uh, Malcolm Glazier, who owns, his family now owns Manchester United. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they did the same thing. They just randomly, they didn't say, oh, hey, how, how are you? They just randomly started talking to me about business. And I just started, I'm like, uh, and Coach Mike, we have an affinity because I did this organically. I remember in the networking group, you saying that, where you said, hey, are you okay with me taking notes? So I would say to these, like, do you mind me? I take out my notebook and start taking notes. I'm like, no, of course not. That's, that's why I'm raining because I know you're the owner. And I remember just being dressed like all the employees, but they knew who the owner was. And they would come in to, and give me business advice because they liked it's, it's amazing nonverbal communication. Because we talked about uh, these high-end restaurants, right? Yeah. That would hire me to manage and run the management of the restaurant. Right? And they never talked to me. They just saw how the restaurant was run, the vibe, the experience they had. Same things with these billionaires, same things with Al-Dalahi. And I literally started learning Italian went to the junior college and took a class in Italian to know what he was saying. Yeah, yeah. And he, he would tell me, John, the most important part of a business, and I don't, you know, after 30 years of listening to, to this, uh, it's not necessarily true, but there's some truth in it for him. That's what made him a billion dollars. Uh, the most important part of business is margin. margin. I make a prosthetic for 50 cents, Alp South, look at it, we'll put the link there. And I set up, sell it to a hospital for $4,000. And we're talking about, this is 30 years ago. Who knows what the margins are not? Well, God, you know, uh, there's a friend of mine that I went to high school with that works for Awesome. And they're a prosthetic company, $11 billion company. Mm-hmm. Just happens to be here in South Orange County. And it's the same thing. Margin, that's why I say, when we sports betting, the margin between 80% and 52.5%, that's where we live. That's yeah. where we make money. And that's where we hit that compounding. Using what Aldo Lahi taught me 30 years ago, a billionaire. That, you know, when people say that's luck, right? People overrate the luck factor. Mm. Hey, yeah, I, I work really hard uh, prepping food at four in the morning, four to seven, and then from seven to 10, walking around, giving flyers, and then opening up the restaurant. And then, you know, people would say, the waiter did a bad job. Uh, who's, uh, who's the supervisor of the waiter? That would mean, oh, yeah, they actually helped him, so I'm sorry. All right, yeah. Uh, who's the cook at this place? Oh, that's me. <laughs> you used to call and they're like, oh, can we talk to the head of customer service? Oh, yeah, that's me. Oh, can we talk to the owner? Oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Right? Uh, right. So you say, oh, that was hard work. You met all. No, it's complete luck. You could have gone to, you're talking about a billionaire who could have gone to every single restaurant to get any food he wants to come to my place for three, you know, three times a week. 
George Steinbrenner was a regular. He could go anywhere. Malcolm Glazier came because he heard of it. We're talking about a hole in the wall. I'll also put a link to the, I'll send it to you too, uh, Mike Cristinici, the review I got oh. at the restaurant. Yes. Right? And it goes to the heart of what I tell every client. Charge everybody triple. I should charge a lot more than I was charging at my time. What I eventually charged based on the competition and feedback from people. So, so we give you business advice on this. We're talking about true crime uh, and then listening too, right? Listening, uh, part of listening is becoming uh, approachable. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Also, smile at people. Right. You know, uh, George Steinbrenner, when he shook his hand, he looked, did like this and gave you a fake smile, then he would go back to his old good work. I always thought about it. a guy like George Steinbrenner giving me a smile and details of tilting his head to the left. He's doing this detail. Why don't I do it? Right. I have fast takeout with 12 tables. Why well, I'm not I'm not mimicking that that behavior, yeah. right? Uh, and then the other part that all the stuff we fail in and I need to do a lot of better in. Uh, and I don't believe in failure. As long as you learn from your mistake, you haven't failed. Uh, when you read something, too, read it two three times. Get the depth of it. I don't care if it's a text, email, but part of listening is reading uh, different communications you get. It's also part of deep, uh, empathetic listening, even though you might not be empathetic with the person, right? I'll give you permission to be that, but also fake it if you have to, be for learning purposes and for effectiveness in your own communication. Your thoughts, Mike Christmas. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the, do you mind if I take notes? Because I kind of coined that, geez, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago. I would ask owners, gee, Josh, you sound like you have a lot of information and knowledge. Do you mind if I take notes? And the first thing they say is, they start to say yes, but they mean no. Uh, no, meaning I don't mind at all. I said, well, good. And so when you're talking, let's say to me, and you say something, I'll say, okay, Josh, uh, can we pause a second? You just said, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Let me see if I got you right. Did, is that what you said? Do I just have that correctly? Yeah. Okay, good. In other words, what am I doing is I'm doing reflective feedback. I'm listening and I'm making sure I'm getting what you said. In other words, I think Stephen Covey called that being a faithful translator. Right. You're, you're translating to me. You're giving me information. I'm writing it down. I want to make sure you know that I'm, and I take, and you know what happens many times in that situation, Josh, the owner of a company or the decision maker, you just created a bridge. Very few people do that. And whether you're in sales or marketing or advertising or HR or you're an engineer, if you can create that bridge that innocuously, wait, all the walls come down. And then they're right. open. They start telling you, like we talked about before the podcast, they start telling you their life story. You didn't even ask for it. Right. They, hey, you got a minute, Mike? I said, sure. And I, you literally, like you said, you, you just shut up, take notes, pay attention, pretend. Even if you have to fake it till you make it. Pretend like you're interested, okay? But as you're making notes and taking notes, you're building this bridge with this person. Then I do something foolish. I write them a handwritten thank you note after the meeting. A couple, three days later, they get it and they call me and say, 
thanks. You, you sent me a thank you note. Well, I, yeah, thank you for your time. It was very important. I just went to the top of the list on a lot of people because nobody does that. Oh, you can text them, right. Mike. Baloney. I, sure I can. I do that anyway. But a handwritten thank you note the United States Post Office, and you can joke about how long it took to get there and all that stuff. But the point is, it's communication. It's building that bridge, and it's building the rapport to move forward with whatever business transaction you're about to propose or become a part of. Right. And then two things before we get to uh, the nuts and bolts of the podcast. What we're going to do is we're going to profile uh, law enforcement, the police, and then the regulatory wards. And then we're going to talk about what our research has shown us about Belinda Stronich mm-hmm. and then the connection. Uh, we'll explore the connection a little bit between uh, the Stronich family, Belinda Stronich, and the death of uh, Honey Sherman, the $4 billion family who died, two billionaires in their demise, right? Nobody could ever think about how their Mm -hmm. demise ended up being two billionaires end up in a um, uh, attic or it's basement. They end up in a basement dead. And I always think about that when we had, I had an uncle that was a mobster and they kept changing the funeral. You know, on the way there, we saw this graffiti about my uncle. He wasn't really an, an uncle. He was married to my aunt who was a medical doctor. And uh, on the way there, we saw graffiti, right? Of, you know, we're going to blow up the funeral home. So we went to four different funeral homes. And um, we sit down and these guys come up with these white envelopes. We get, I got like white envelopes, just me. They have $4,000 in. So again, this is maybe about 35 years. So $4,000, and that was a lot. And each of my family got in. There were five people in my family with my dad, my mom, my sister, my brother, and I. And we all got envelopes for $4,000. And it was my senior year in high school. I was 18. And I remember my mom, <laughs> my mom taking all the envelopes from everybody. She's like, all these envelopes are mine. This is, um, and my mom made her, her own rules. You know, all these envelopes are mine. This is, this is money with blood on them. So only a woman of God like myself can spend it. <laughs> and uh, at, at the end, uh, Cubans have a tradition where you stay until the body's buried. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad is adherent to that tradition. And I guess nobody else was. My aunt was too, not the medical doctor. She left. My other aunt, that was my uh, mom's sister. And the only three people there as this mobster is getting put in the final burial is my aunt, Lisa, myself, and my dad. Nobody else, none of his mob buddies, all of you guys crying, none of you guys are able to go through it. It was just three. And then my dad uh, tells my aunt and I, the last thing this guy Carlos expected, the last people he expected to be the last ones to wait for him to be buried yeah. was us. It, I laughed. I'll never forget that moment because it's so hilarious. But Honey uh, Sherman and her, I think her husband's name was Frank. Baron. 
Barry and Honey Sherman, I think. Barry and Honey Sherman. Barry and Honey Sherman. Yeah. The last thing they were inspected, that their remains, their last, would be in a basement in Toronto. Yeah. Four billion dollars. But we'll give the, the kicker at the end. Because we're right. like, what's the connection? And how does this happen? How are pharmaceuticals made specifically for racehorses to spike them and to be like maximum security, $12,000 horse that, man, that's some Wall Street bet stuff right there. Uh, some Hillary Clinton $1,000 cow that she sells for uh, $100,000. $12,000 horse, that's the purpose in the out. The purpose is to spike the horse so it gives an explosive performance in the race. The outcome is that a $12,000 horse becomes a $36 million horse. Horse racing, true crime. And we've gotten very, very, a lot of detail that you do not get anywhere else in any true crime podcast. And a lot of, my wife's a psychotherapist for uh, 17 years. So she's done therapy on both sides, the, the criminal side, the guy who killed 10 people and police. And I have a good police story as we uh, head into uh, talking about the police. Yeah. Detail and cops. Excuse me. Yeah, we were talking about connections. And, you know, it's funny, not funny, haha, but funny, ironic that you ended up meeting a lot of wealthy and very influential people just because you had a restaurant. Well, I think it's more, I think God had you there for a reason. And these people came to you and they saw in you a young man that worked hard, that had a desire to succeed. And they saw a new potential, Josh. And they said, hey, I want to talk to this young guy. Uh, and Aldo Lavi, I mean, he's speaking to you in Italian. He thinks you're Italian, you're Cuban. Okay, it's close enough. And you're just nodding going, huh? See, 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 come with me. And all of a sudden you start taking notes. Next thing you know, you're translating those notes into hey, I can apply this in my business. This is going to help me sell this thing one day. All of a sudden, fast forward a few years, you made a lot of money selling that restaurant by taking business principles that we talk about here and applying them. Now, this is going to sound crazy to our viewing and listening audience, but if you don't apply the things you learn, you're wasting a lot of energy. Like when we were in networking groups together and I would make a talk and I would say, please take notes. I, I implore you people take notes. Josh, do you know how many times people took notes in our meetings many times? Maybe, maybe a handful, maybe five out of what, 40 people? And it was really, as a coach, it's, it's heartbreaking because I'm trying to impart knowledge to you to help you grow your business, you know, cut some corners, whatever, and people wouldn't take notes. And the thing about these connections in the police and horse racing, true crime and drugs, you know, it's really funny you and I both believe people start off pretty innocently, but then they get introduced to people or they meet someone. Now you come to a cross crossroads. Do I go with this person and believe them? Or do I take a step back and ask more questions before I do? And I, to your credit, Josh, you ask a lot of questions. You do a lot of diligence, a lot of digging before you commit to something. And I've told people- The rule of betting is do your research, research. right? Exactly. believe none of what you hear and half of what you see right correct and, and you confirm it 
and then put yourself around good people on many different levels. The classiest people I've known have been sometimes the poorest people. Mm -hmm. And the people who lack class the most have been the most wealthy, right? You can't confuse the two. And they're all over the place. There's not, uh, you know, best business book I've read is uh, Shoe Dog by a billionaire. Right? Business is messy. It's never the same. No two businesses are the same. So you got to look things as what they are and then be able to anticipate because with all the lahi, uh, you know, life's left unexamined. One of the best parts of the podcast that we do during the NFL season, college football season, is the Hawthorne effect. We look back at the games we got wrong to make you the most money because you, sh- you look at the flaws in your thinking and then you correct them. And whatever you track and measure, you improve its performance 10 to 20%. Again, we're talking that margin, all the lahi. Right. And you peel back the layers because all the lahi was a fire pipe. And then he invents a plastic. He's very, very good at math. So those notes I have with all the lahi, uh, and I remember I asked him for a book list and he gave me a, a list of like 200 books. Hmm. But math, and they teach it wrong to people, and if people make this adjustment, they'll make a lot of money because math is taught wrong in this country. Uh, in every country, really, most guys, they, they think it's calculation. It's not, it's pattern recognition. So he was giving me patterns to recognize as a fighter pilot. Fighter pilot, you're doing a lot of math when you're flying, when you're dropping bombs on people. Uh, and then in plastics, the same way. And then he, as a control freak, he controlled that whole business so he ran every layer of that business and he's a billionaire so you cannot argue with him (laughs) why just listen take take notes so people are very very confused especially with the capital riots uh with all these things going on with uh sports betting as well very interesting because by understanding the correct structure that sports betting has and doesn't have, you take advantage, and I'll put links to this in the uh, episode notes. Really what people are getting, uh, listening to the sports betting podcast and this, they're getting an MBA from Warden, Harvard Business School, actually it's better because you're getting the information faster and the information that you're getting is concentrated information you can put in action today to make a lot of money. Uh, You understand the structure and by looking at the flaws, you monetize the flaws, which is market inefficiency. And I'll put a link to a guy who has $39 billion. And the way he did it was looking at market inefficiency. And people at the highest level of government, highest level of business, successful people, make this big mistake, right? And that's just the craziness what makes life interesting. <laughs> it's not linear, right? It's not sometimes what we expect it to be. It'd be all over the place. The luck factor, you can never underestimate the luck factor because you got people in the richest country in the world who do everything wrong 
everything comes out like roses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's just pure luck. So we're not afforded that opportunity. So it's pattern recognition. And uh, why do people get away with committing a lot of crime, right? White collar crime pays. The law and justice are distant cousins at best, right? At best. Yeah. How do you make sense of this? And how do I, I think that for me, let me ask you, I think the biggest part of it is being aware of your environment and the people around you, which is basic, right? And number two is being able to understand what is going on and then using that understanding to monetize, to get yourself into output. So before we start on cops, uh, and I'll, I'll give you a description of cops and then law enforcement, then we'll go regulatory boards, and then we're gonna talk about uh, Belinda Stronich. So before we jump in, what are your thoughts at that point, Mike Christinisi? You know, you said something a minute ago, Josh, I agree with that math is taught wrong in this country, maybe in other parts of the world. Now, I guess math is racist. That's the most recent uh, trial balloon we're floating. Um, I, I don't want to laugh because I would probably cry at how foolish and stupid that is. Math is not racist. Okay, math is mathematics and math is analytics. And unfortunately for a lot of people, and you and I have met with them, we have clients that are like that, they don't always pay attention to the analytics. And if they would pay more attention to that, it's called bottom line, right? You talked about margin. I have, I have clients that will argue with me about top line revenue and sales and increases. And I said, that's great. That's all well and good. But top line revenue can go up exponentially. If you don't control your expenses, then the margin doesn't follow. What good does it do? I had one client actually try to convince me that even though they lost money at X amount millions per year, if they just sold more, they would start making money. I said, it's not even possible. I'll prove it to you. I just wrote, I just did a little Ben Franklin close. He said, yeah, but Mike, I said, there's no yeah, but about it. You're wrong. It is not feasible for you to do that. And so your point is, as you're talking about not just, not just the capitalist society, but how people get my words, not yours, turn to the dark side within that system. And people say, well, socialism is the best way to go. No, nothing could be further from the truth, in my humble opinion. Capitalism is the best way to go of all the systems, but you have to learn self-control. I think that's what you're talking about, Josh. Some people don't want to control themselves, and then all of a sudden everything's wrong because they're a victim of something that somebody else did to them. That's not true. It's what you did to yourself. You didn't do your, what do you call it? Your research, your due diligence. You didn't know your surroundings. You didn't know the people you were dealing with. Uh, that's on you, honey. That's all on you. So when we talk about these connections between the Stronach family and the Barry and Honey uh, Sherman, it is really interesting when you dig down deeper, which we, we do all the time on these podcasts, people say, oh, that's the connection. Right. Right. And there's very few things in, uh, in this life and world and people that are completely legitimate. And then by knowing things, uh, you get more insight on how you're being lied to. Because sometimes you learn more from a lie than you learn from the truth. Ah, true. Right? 
Yes. So right now, I mean, let's say, let's take socialism for example. Well, let's look at cops. I remember uh, career day, a lawyer came in and said, the reason I'm a lawyer is because uh, by being an attorney, I can commit crimes legally. And, you know, and that shook me the way I was raised and I was born. I was like, wow, that's interesting. And as a kid, right, when you were in your younger third or fourth grade, oh, I want to be a firefighter or I want to be uh, a cop, right? Well, it's, it's a reality is very, very, very different. You know, uh, and then that same class in third grade, you get things told to you like, you can do anything you want. Like, no, you can't. Uh, you have limitations. Now, some things people like, I, I agree with Matthew McConaughey, uh, that miracles are overblown because if you can think it, you can do it. It's just that all the people around you don't think you can do it. And there's a lot of fear attached to it because there's a lot of opposition and some things are unlikely, right? The success of my restaurant is highly unlikely and there's probably no way I could ever do it again, right? <laughs> but it did happen. Was it a miracle? No. Was there luck involved? Yes. <laughs> right. Wow. Uh, so going back to that, right? Quick take on socialism. Uh, everybody's socialist, right? And the problem is what we start the podcast with hypocrisy, right? And double talking, right? Mm -hmm. That's why the United States has institutional elements of socialism that are uh, never going to change. And Republicans are socialists, right? Because they are hypocritical. Uh, a perfect example is uh, was now the Freedom Caucus used to be the Tea Party. The Tea Party said that they would not vote for anything that would increase the death, right? And they got into that agenda and they did a really good job for like a year. And then they sold out to the George Bush family and, they, and the, the deficit was raised, right? Uh, and then they sold out, the deficit was raised again with uh, tax cuts. And that uh, Trump, was upset about because Trump was fooled. Trump was not told about corporations allowed to buy back stocks. At the same time, he's getting a tax cut because the tax cut was to reinvest into the economy and have some true capitalism, some true public planks on it. But no, the Freedom Caucus Tea Party allowed buybacks in there. So now the Tea Party has no critical when known socialists come in to raise the stock market. Now, we all read Adam Smith and said the invisible hand, you don't touch, you don't put your hand on the economy, you allow it to evolve. naturally evolve, right? Then you have Republicans came up with the salt tax, which means that uh, you can't deduct local taxes from federal taxes. Uh, because of that, 
uh, it's a tax, right? And uh, that's the Freedom Party caucus in the Tea Party uh, needed to vote against that to stay consistent with the principle. They didn't, why? Because they got a lot of those Tea Party guys are who lose elections for being hypocritical are leaving. Uh, they come in with net worth uh, 100,000 and leaves 10 million. How does that happen, right? So the problem is, the problem is the hypocrisy uh, that the socialism seeps in. Social security is socialism. We allowed it to seep in and now it's part of the fabric of the country right. and it's not ever uh, going to change. Right. And then hypocrisy on the other side, when you look at the Democrat side, uh, they talk about mass incorporate, uh, incarceration. Uh, two of the biggest people who are responsible for mass incarceration is Kamala Harris, who was a prosecutor in California. And it was interesting, her answer, is she had 100% prosecution percentage. Somebody asked her, to have 100% prosecution percentage, that means you put, at some point, some innocent black and brown people in jail. She's like, yeah, do you care? She said, no, I don't care. I was doing the best I can, and my job was to prosecute. I wasn't the defense attorney in there. Well, no, that's not true. She's supposed to look at the case. If the person's here, that she's supposed to let him go. She didn't right. do that. And then in the 90s, uh, it, Biden isn't racist, but he didn't make a racist remark. He said, you know, a large percentage of the African-American population were crack dealers. That's, that's what Joe Biden said, right? So, and, and I'm surprised that uh, Laura Bush didn't put this in the debates for Trump, but if I was Trump, if I was Pence, I would say, hey, if you wanna look at the people who are not, are least responsible for mass incarceration, it would be Mike Pence and Donald Trump, not Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, right? And you make a big deal about mass incarceration, this and this and that, right? So. It's massive hypocrisy, but if you're not educated and you don't do your research, you don't notice it. You buy in to each side saying, oh, we're market, we're uh, free market people, and we believe that uh, overtaxation uh, stops the economy. And then the reporter doesn't say anything when the reporter would say, well, since you believe that and you don't believe in raising the deficit, why did you vote for, this, for the tax? cuts without eliminating buybacks, and why did you vote for the salt tax? You, you voted for the opposite of what you just said. <laughs> Same thing with mass incarceration. Oh, I'm against mass incarceration, and um, I'm against private jails. Oh, you're against private jails, yes. All right, why did you allow the owner of several private jails, um, I forgot his name, he's a billionaire from California, to contribute Five hundred million to to your campaign. You shouldn't have taken that money because he owns private jail, and that guy is responsible for mass incarceration, murder of black and brown people in private jails. Why did you take his money? Why didn't you call him out? 
so on and so forth. Why did you work for the crime bill in the 90s? And why didn't you, Kamala Harris, review your cases better so that Black and Hispanic people didn't go to jail? Right. And the reporters aren't asking these questions. Why? Because they're in on it. So let's talk about cops in and on, right? Uh, I talked to a chief of police here in South Orange County. He told me that 10%, guy's been a veteran for 24 years, chief of police, he said his current force and the forces he ever seen ever, 10% of the cops are corrupt, involved in Nazi gangs, involved in burglary, involved in... Um, drug crime syndicates, 50% uh, of the LAPD diet, uh, retired millionaires, same thing for the Border Patrol and the state police of New Jersey. And the guy we're using for an example, and we'll put the links on the episode notes, is a police officer in Orange County who did a welfare check, right? So we're gonna ask you a couple of questions on that. Uh, he does a welfare check for this Rich, white guy, guy's dead. Uh, he lives in a wealthy area, Yorba Linda, California, mm -hmm. the birth of Richard Nixon. Great museum down there, presidential museum mm -hmm. in Yorba Linda. Six bucks to get in, it's a steal. Great place. Mm -hmm. uh, and he comes back and he bur burglarizes the place several times before he gets ratted out by another cop in the burglary ring because it seems he was a liability, right? So that, that's an overview of cops. And I'll give you another story that I'll give you a formidable question. So what are your thoughts on that? And you know, you'll combine what we talked about before the podcast. Yeah, it's amazing when you read about Stephen Hortz. I mean, it really does shake you to your foundation when you think, wait a minute, this, this is a a law enforcement officer and he's doing what he's doing like a standard routine check on welfare or whatever and ends up somehow the person in that house is dead nobody says anything then eventually the body's removed they, he goes back three four five six times i mean josh it just it just shakes you to your core it's like like we've said before the podcast the truth is stranger than fiction this is not, I'm not writing up some screenplay for Hollywood to produce this from my movie. This is, this is from KTLA. This is from the newspaper. This is what happened. These are the facts. And you say, guys, I can't believe that. Well, I can hardly believe it reading it. But when you say 10%, I think that even that number might be low nowadays. It might be 15. It might be 18, 20, because people today are just corrupt. And how is that? How is it possible? Well, if you work in a large system, a government agency, for example, you can quote unquote hide for a long time. And if you can bring a couple, three of your quote unquote pals, your buddies along with you, you can basically rob society blind and then retire and you've got a gajillion dollars in your bank. You say, well, how can that be in this country? Because like you said earlier, Josh, nobody's asking the hard questions. I've said for years, I've said this probably for 30 years, I don't think any politician should go into politics unless they've had their own business and had to make payroll on Friday afternoon, maybe five years. Then you understand business. When you go into businesses, you come out of business college or you come out of law school and you go into government, you don't know anything about business. You know how to get paid, 
you write, you sign the back of the check to deposit, right? You rarely right. sign the front of the check. That's what Jim Desmond said the other day in our podcast. So it just, it, it's almost, if it weren't so unbelievably strange, which it is, but it's true. And as we read these stories, they just break our heart because we're trying to help people. We're trying to help people understand the system and talk about the goodness of the capitalist society. And all of a sudden you find out, man, a lot of the players are really corrupt. Right. So if we're talking about spike horses and rigging races, but these are the cops, the ones that are supposed to arrest people for doing things wrong. And you're looking at 10% to 20%. They're like this guy in that link who burglarized the house. What a welfare check is, is if somebody goes missing for a couple of days, yeah. and you don't know where they're at, you call the cops and you send them over there to find out if they're okay. They answer the door. If there's any sign of foul play, that's what the cops did. But then he went out because he saw a lot of nice things there. And, uh, and again, he broke one of the basic crimes. Never go back to the scene of a perfect crime and never do two crimes at the same time that we talked about. Now, I'll give you another story. A very good friend of mine who's very straight-laced guy. His dad was a cop. He's a cop. He goes to the Largo Florida Police Department. Mm. And one of uh, early in his career there, he comes up on a car with $500,000 cash. And what you're supposed to do in that case is call your captain, you count the cash, they secure it, and they put it in for evidence, right? This is a crime scene. Uh, you secure it, and then uh, you do your, your due diligence, right? You know, who the car is registered to. Has anybody seen it? Has it been in camera? Anywhere close? To, you know, so you do all that. Uh, he calls his captain, and his captain's like, oh, I cannot believe that you, you actually are reporting this. So what we're going to do is you're going to take all the money that you can and put it in your uniform. I'm going to do the same. And you're going to report the rest. And I'll give you the punchline afterwards. But the reason he had to go along with it was because at that time, the Largo, Florida Police Department was run by the mafia, right? Santo Traficante, uh, you know, Gancana and Traficante supposedly the ones who killed uh, John Kennedy, the president of the United States. So he had to keep his mouth shut as straight-laced as he was or is to this day. Uh, you, you know, he's an assistant chief of police right now. He had to keep his mouth shut on that they were going to kill his family. Now, is that unethical? Is that obviously illegal? Is that immoral? God's the one that judges that. And he had to do what he did, take the money, which ended up being over $100,000 35 years ago, because he really had no choice other than do what he did which was say, hey, I'm going to work here a year, then I'm going to get out of here, go to another police force. But he ended up going to one even more corrupt than that one in Largo. Your thoughts, Mike Christine. We're, we're detailing cops. We're talking about a, a cop who isn't the 10% who's corrupt. Straight laces can be. Uh, you know, he's a great cop, but that's the situation he was put in. The, the situation that he was put in is something I am not familiar with at all. 
And so for me to sit here and give you some kind of flippant or irreverent, well, of course it's, no. If I saw, Josh, I grew up outside of Flint, Michigan. If I saw $1,000, I was a kid, I might've killed somebody for that. I'm just saying. So 500 grand cash in a duffel bag, would I have even called my captain to report it? <laughs> I, uh, probably not. To be perfect, I would look around and say, this happened to me the other day, I gotta tell you a story. I'm in a supermarket the other day. I'm in the self-checkout at Vons, right? And you know how they have the machines where you go put all your coins in and then it gives you cash out? Yeah. As I'm walking out, I see there's a $20 bill laying in this place. I look around, there's nobody around. I pick up the 20 bucks, put it in my pocket. I go home, tell my wife, you just made $20. <laughs> right. Is that stealing? Okay, maybe it is. Maybe I should confess. Lord, forgive me, I'm sorry. Okay, the point is, that was $20. That was a non-brainer. 500 grand cash 30 years ago. That's like what? 10 million today or five. I mean, would I even have taken it to my captain? Probably not. So the fact that he had to do what the captain said, you're absolutely right. He had to protect his wife and children. It's like, I, I can't, what am I going to do? Be Frank Serpico and be a real honest cop. Okay. Maybe, maybe he would do that. And would I applaud him for that? Sure. But did he do the smart thing to protect his family? Probably, probably. And I would love to hear people's comments on our commentary because a lot of people say, well, I wouldn't do that if I was in that situation. Really? Really, Bucko? Huh. Yeah. I I'd like to talk to you afterwards. I think you would. Especially if your family is being threatened by people that are more powerful, have more connections than you do. Right. So these are the people that are involved with spiking the horses and getting into, and remember, this is in Florida, not too far away from Ocala, where mm -hmm. maximum security, uh, Jason Service, uh, George Navarro, the people we're talking about, right? And horses that you know, all the way down to Del Mar, right? That we're going to cover intensely starting mm -hmm. July, mm -hmm. and we're going to put the pieces that we talked about in this podcast on there, all right? So you're seeing a spike force, you're seeing shenanigans going in Delmar anywhere. These are the guys who we call, right? The police. And uh, these are the guys making the rules, making the arrest. And without that, you're talking about, again, selective prosecution if it's a crime, right? Then you're talking about boards. So the real enforcement are people that can lock up people and put in jail. So people are like, oh, why isn't somebody investigating Bob Baffert? There you go. Are these horses, uh, the testing, chain of custody is a way that these people have gotten away with this, right? There you go. These are the cops, right? Because uh, it has to be teeth. It's like uh, ethical part, you know, and that's something that needs reform and that people need to go to their local city councils and say, what is the ethical part of policy and does it have teeth? Teeth meaning is that if um, a councilman is stealing money, taxpayer, because it's not, that's the thing, right? A successful businessman, A, for the most part, unless he's a true criminal and likes committing crimes, yeah. is not going to take price unless it has to or unless it's part of the larger racket that got him in office yeah. right 
So on top of that, who are the regulatory boards? Uh, the racing authority, there's a national racing authority. Uh, there's local boards, there's the California board of racing and each state has its own. And for the most part, those people are run by the people that ran or still run the Largo, Florida Police Department, uh, Pinellas County, Pinellas County, Florida, uh, and so forth, right? Uh, I see there, there's boards, because uh, this is a worldwide operation. So uh, oh, yeah. what comes up is the board in um, the Irish board, right? The Irish Regulatory Board. Uh, so what happens with those people is they have to be in on it or they're paid off or they're throwing a blind eye. And for the most part, these people are paid with taxpayers' money. So what are your thoughts, Mike Kristen, on the boards before we go to Belinda Stronich? Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny, <laughs> again, if you rewind our tapes and go back 30, 35, 40 years, a little more naive, our hairs are darker, we're thinner, et cetera, et cetera. There's a belief system that basically people are good, okay, for the most part. Well, yeah. you age and you go to college and you get some education, you work in business, you start hearing all these stories, you end up talking to people at a restaurant or a bar, next thing you realize, Am I, am I just naive? Am I foolish? Or is it that a lot of people are really corrupt? And right. what happens is the corruption, I think, Josh, starts at one point very innocuously. It's very small amounts. So a guy gets away with something. A guy in the police right. says, you know, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'm going to waive this traffic ticket. Guy slips him a $50 bill, right? Okay, 50 bucks. He goes, I can make 50 bucks through this. So the next couple, three times, He'll do that, and many he, maybe he'll pull over somebody who he knows is a wealthy businessman or even a, a politician, and he'll be talking, say, well, look, I think I can take care of this. Can you help me out? How much do you need? Well, I was thinking about five grand. Not a problem. Come to my office tomorrow at three o'clock, and there's an envelope with five grand cash in. You got cash in an envelope for being at a funeral, <laughs> and you're right. right? <laughs> Right. And that's how it happens. These people, the corruption just seeps in and nobody says, no, I can't do that. Because if you look at cash, what is cash? It's non-traceable. It's non-taxable. Cash is cash. Where did it come from? There's the question. Where did the cash come from? If you start following the money, you find out, I don't, I shouldn't ask too many more questions, right? Because then you end up 1600. So this, what's the name? Storts this uh, cop. I mean, I, I feel bad that we have people like that in our society, in our system, but we do, and we better start realizing, let's get out of denial and start getting into reality. That's what we're dealing with in our society. So what you and I are trying to do is help people understand, don't be naive. Do not be naive. Okay? Yeah, we're not trying to do it. We're, we're, uh, we're giving people information and not getting anywhere else. And we are, Really what, you, what we're doing is we're witnessing, we're taking a step back and we're with our eyes and with our ears, giving you a witness account of horse racing, true crime. Yeah. And when you're betting on horse, this is what you're betting. Right? It's a horse from the Stronich family. 
And how are these horses spiked? Why are these so many horses dying, right? Uh, and it's because of that mentality. Everybody's putting money inside their uniform. <laughs> if you start using that myth, you know, myth, uh, euphemism based on that story of, of uh, true story, because truth is stranger than fiction. It's another thing we're proving. Um, so it's called the California Horse Racing Board. <laughs> yeah. So how are they allowing all these horses to be spiked, all the testing, right? How is this all happening? Uh, part of the reason it's happening is because people are putting money inside their uniform when they come up on a car that's full of money. Right. Yeah. We'll put links, they'll give you details of all the regulation, but human nature is human nature. Yeah. So for the racing boards, we'll talk about Belinda Stronage. So Belinda Stronage, uh, very, very pretty woman. She becomes part of the legislature, the Canadian legislature. Uh, Stronage family is worth $3 billion. She's had cancer twice, she's beat it. She's been married twice, she's beat it. Uh, and in between that, uh, Justin Thoreau met his wife at her second wedding. Uh, she has connections to George Soros and they contribute money to the Clinton Foundation, right? And they're part of the origins in Austria uh, with George Soros, they're involved in the Canadian legislature and they, they have horse farms where in Florida, where Largo, Florida is that we were talking about and uh, maximum security, George Navarro, Jason Service, all worked out of uh, one of their farms in Ocala, Florida. And we know that in Ocala, Florida, the Gambino family has the Bad Boys Farms, and uh, George Navarro is currently in Ocala. Nobody ever wants to go back to Ocala, but he asked to transfer to Ocala. Why would he ever do that? Uh, so that's Belinda's Stronage. We always talked about like, where did the, all this money come, the manufacturing to spike the horses, and the expertise tool for it. And when all this heat going on with all these horses dying, spike horse in Saudi Arabia, we were wondering what was the connection to the death of Honey and Barry Sherman, right? And they're pharmaceutical magnets. These are the couple that ended up dead, dead in their base, right? Horse racing, true crime, Mike Christmas. Leave you that final thoughts. Tie it up in a bow there. I mean, you talk about Belinda Stronich. I mean, this is an interesting woman. She was in the parliament. She's connected everywhere sideways. Her dad, Frank and her, he taught her the racing industry from the time she was a child. So right. she knows just about every inside working secret you can know. Somehow she gets involved with people at high levels, especially uh, Barry and Honey uh, Sherman. They're pharmaceutical manufacturers. And what are they manufacturing? PEDs performance right. drugs right 
but the kind of PEDs, Josh, that cannot be traced, they cannot be detected. Now, right. okay, hold on. If you're a pharmaceutical manufacturer and someone says to you, can you make this drug for me, Josh, where nobody can detect it if I put it in this horse? Oh yeah, we can do that. Okay, shouldn't there be some bells and whistles going off? Like, wait, this is illegal. But when you're a billionaire and you're making money hand over fist and you hang out with that, that echelon of people, we're all in it together, right? So right. if you start to tell somebody the truth or you want to quote unquote get out, no, you get dead. You end up in your basement slain. And that's this connection is to me, it's very scary because you have the people- Both are to the both of the town and their enterprises has the expertise to do exactly what you said. However, in a pandemic, uh, with a lot of things going south, a lot of uncertainty, uh, if they knew anything or if they wanted a message to be sent, uh, those would be the people I would kill. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. I, back in, to talk about George Navarro for a minute. When he was approached by a veterinarian, I don't know which one, there are some names that came up in the testimony. Or if we're, the way our theory is that Barry and Honey Sherman were involved, it's a whole operation, like a business. Exactly. And he was in a spot. It really had nothing to do with anything or a veterinarian never came up to him. Yeah. Veterinarian worked for Honey and Barry Sherman. They're worth $4 billion. Mm -hmm. They're in pharmaceuticals, right? It was part of a plot to take $12,000 horses and make them into $39 million. Mm -hmm. And George Navarro is right here, right? Because he doesn't know how the drugs work. He doesn't know where he's a horse trainer. It's like saying a uh, phlebotomist or a nurse practitioner or a CNA, right? Uh, they don't know about the COVID-19 shot or how to put the, the mixtures together or masking agents for steroids. This is strange, right? Because they have that type of expertise. They're in Toronto. They know the Stronach family. They're in pharmaceutical. Canada, the cops don't even have guns in Canada. Yeah. So for people with $4 billion to end up in their basement dead and nobody has any idea who committed this crime, it has to be a Stronach family kind of level and the pharmaceutical part is uh, very suspicious. Now, that's circumstantial evidence. Right. Right. Poor white people, Blacks and Hispanics, poor Asians, a lot of them have been put in jail by Kamala Harris. <laughs> Just on circumstantial evidence, without any DNA, without any hard proof, direct evidence at all. Just circumstantial evidence. People have been bamboozled in jail. Yeah. yeah. With less evidence than that. Right? Because in a way, we got them over. Because what are three tests for a crime, right? Um, motive. Motive. Opportunity. Mm -hmm. Means. Means to do so. Not the motive, right? Yeah. They can spill the bean on all those spiked horses and all the horses dying. And uh, God knows whatever malfeasance they know about it.
opportunity in Toronto and uh, the Stronish family is worth $3 billion. They can kill whoever they want. Yeah, it's kind of scary when you think about going to the racetrack to place a bet, right? <laughs> it's like well, I'm doing it on XBet, which they own. Remember, vertical okay. integration. No, they're a bet. They own that company. They own the horses, and they own the track. Pretty, pretty good deal. They own the software. They own the track. They probably have ownership in the food manufacturing. They have ownership in the pharmaceutical. It's like this is a closed loop system. Right. And it's like when you talk about true crimes. Who's going to really punch that bubble and burst it to say, wait a minute, I think it's the Starnage family. I'm not going to be the one to raise my hand. Why? Because I'm going to be killed. That's why they have witness protection programs, right? Well, I don't think they're going to kill us because... Uh, not us, probably. Because <laughs> those Largo cops, Largo, Florida cops are not going to arrest us. They have it. Uh, when I talk about having the system ranks, nobody is going to arrest these people. Yeah. Right. If they do get arrested in Canada, Trudeau, which met his wife at her wedding, will give them a pardon for killing Kanye <laughs> Right. Yeah. Because she's part of the legislature. She's part of uh, parliament. Yes. She's high up. Right. And powerful and influential, Josh. This is the thing people. Well, this is the other thing, too, right? If you read the Mueller report, and we'll have your thoughts on this in closing talking to but if you read the Mueller report the way I did, and um, I'll do extra work on this and put it in the episode notes, I'll put the pages in the Mueller report that give direct evidence to what I'm about to say. Yeah. Every single person that the Trump campaign hired, I mean, Connected people, people who knew what they were doing. Three different people, right? Uh, one of them is a famous story about Seth Rich, right? Every single person that reported or got close to Hillary Clinton's email ended up dead. One of the three will split it. The dad ended up dead and the son is in federal prison in Chicago. Why is Chicago important? Because the, Chicago is where Hillary Clinton bought the $1,000 cow and sold it for 100000 Okay? So one dead, one in jail. Um, Belinda Stronich contributes to what? The Clinton Foundation. So they asked her for advice. Oh, we know how to kill him, right? From Vince Foster to Ron Brown to Seth Rich. There's a lot of dead bodies connected to Bill and Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation. And those are facts, and we'll put the links in the episode notes yeah. of all the people publicly that we know about have died suspiciously. I mean, Vince Foster was the biggest one. Yeah. Foster committed, committed suicide in the White House. Figure that. How did he get away with it and then get reelected? And the only thing they got him for was getting blowjobs from uh, Lewinsky. Lewinsky. But some guy dies in the White House who crossed Hillary Clinton with a bullet in the back of their head and it's suicide. How did, I don't know. And in the wrong hand, the guy was uh, right-handed. Left-handed. 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 Right-handed. Final thoughts and your thoughts on that. 
horse racing well i'll tell you there are a lot of parallels between horse racing true crimes and Mueller report i'll tell you that was the if you like adult cartoons watching that show for two years was unfortunately very expensive very sad but extremely funny and stupid well, i mean money that's the thing it made money it from made. it from the the money they got from manford and the ukrainian oligarchs and other crimes that they uncovered while doing so uh they ended up making a 50 million dollar profit in the mold report yeah it made money it made money and the media had something to talk about every single day to keep my words not yours stirring up the pot stirring up the pot i don't know josh if in our country we're ever going to get back to truth i really mean that i don't think if you talk to people more than 10 minutes and you listen carefully and you ask them, well, what's the truth of that? Oh, well, Mike, I watch CNN or MSNBC or Fox here. Okay, time out. I ask you the truth. I didn't ask you what you watched. Do you do any reading, any research? Do you go back in history and look at some kind of pattern? My math, pattern recognition, right? And so my concern as we move forward with horse racing true crime is we're probably going to stumble onto some more people that we're going to talk about that I've never really heard in the media. Oh, you a little blurb here, a little blurb there. We're going to dig into it and say, hey, this this smells. This Something stinks here. Something's rotten in Denmark, to use the expression. Yeah, and all this is public information, but uh, there's something very interesting that's switched in journalism is that you're only getting part of the story. And that's been, I mean, I remember Wolf, Wolfman, an independently wealthy, uh, attorney who retired at 45 as an attorney. And again, we come to the restaurant, spend hours talking, we sit there listening to the guy. And I asked him, you know, uh, successful attorney, he, he had practiced all kinds of law and he ended up retiring when he got like a $50 million settlement in a Fed case. But he had been, you know, a defense attorney, been a civil attorney and a brilliant guy. Him and another guy, the same kind of story, Robert Andringa, whose wife ended up being uh, district attorney, for lack of a better word, whatever they call it in Florida, uh, and ran for it in Florida. She lost, but that was her, her husband, her the wife of the husband, right? And uh, both of them taught me two things. Bert Wolfman said, "I said, well, if I'm going to hire an attorney." What's the process? He says, you go to five attorneys and each attorney is going to give you 20% of the truth. So you go to each attorney before you give a retainer, get 20% of the truth from the five. And I've practiced that. In some cases, I've gotten so much information from the five attorneys that I've been able to just do my, the case myself and research. Robert Andringa said the other, other thing that, that links to this. He said, always be able to argue both sides of a case equally that the other person or the other entity doesn't know which side you're on mm -hmm. and you get pieces of information you get news stories you get different news stories this good approach people know what we're doing with the podcast uh you look at the different stories you look at the different newspapers liberal conservative independent and then you check them with public records. And 
if it makes sense, and we'll do a little bit more of this, but we've done it with uh, uh, Carl DeMaio and Jim Desmond, we're getting you insight to the board members, the board members of these regulatory agencies for the horse track. And then next week, we're gonna have an assembly woman. And the reason it's so important, the reason the CCP and the Chinese government want to infiltrate the California assembly is because California is the fifth richest economy in the world. With this pandemic, it's extended because of the Silicon Valley and the stock market. The stock market has never gone down. Stock market has gone up. So California is way, way up there as far as power and economy. And we're bringing you these people here so you get insight into horse racing, true crime, really humanity as a whole, and what's going on in your town. Yeah. And before, uh, any final words before we give them Winston Churchill? No, I just want to say thank you for our viewing and listening audience. I hope that you're taking notes, and I hope that you're able to take some of this information and use it tomorrow, Saturday. Right. Monday. Apply tonight. Well, a little late now. But no, thanks, Josh. Good job. Good job facilitating. Yes. And we always close with Winston Churchill. You make a living from your labor, but you make a life from what you give. Thank you for listening to the ESBC Podcast Network.